Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Okay. All right. How you feeling, Nick? <laughs> I'm all over the place. Um, it's a 15-minute commute from where I work to here. It took me 50 minutes today. That is uh, exponentially worse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> More than double. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. This episode, guys, uh, welcome. Welcome to What Do You Got? Uh, we're glad to have you here. Hope you enjoyed the last episode. This is episode 31. Uh, this is going to probably be a long one. Um, I don't even want to call this an article. This is an essay. Um, <laughs> it is an essay uh, from Wired.com. We'll get into that in a second. But It reminds me of when I, I, uh, I started reading the collective publishing of Woodward and Bernstein during Watergate. Ooh. And how long that took me. Yeah. Vaguely approaching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I was searching for a different article to do for this episode just because I knew this one was very long. But I, I couldn't find anything. And this, this just kind of really grabbed me because it's kind of superfluous how how much happened and how much no one knows about when it comes to this story um so let's let's just get into it because this, this is gonna be a long there's one. an awful lot of stuff going on with ice cream that's, yeah that's all i can say um so rob have you uh have you had mcdonald's before yeah, uh old mcdonald's any mcdonald's ever <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> okay um what would you say is the most annoying thing about mcdonald's i'm feeding you this I mean, do you want an honest answer, or do you want me to set you up? I want, I want you to set me up. Oh, man, every time I go to McDonald's, it's like, sorry, the ice cream machine is broken. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I'm sure anyone who's out there listening to this has had McDonald's at some point in their life, and uh, everybody knows the, the ongoing gag of the fact that McDonald's ice cream machines, milkshake machines, are constantly broken. Uh, there's a very good reason as to why that's the thing. Uh, there's a company, and I, I've highlighted many passages from this article that I'm kind of just br- breeze through as we as we read this and and discuss this. Uh, as always, the article will be linked in the description of the episode below. Um, basically, there is a company called Taylor that has a monopoly on this type of machine, the the milkshake machine that McDonald's uses. Not only do they have a monopoly. But it, it's so invested and so ingrained in, in in McDonald's, you know, overall industry usage that they break constantly. And the only way they can get them fixed is to pay thousands upon thousands of dollars to this one company who is the only one that has technicians that can fix these mm-hmm. things. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to go through some of these highlighted passages. If, if you want to stop me at any moment, please do. Uh, I highlighted a bunch of stuff. So here we go. Uh, at the very beginning of the article of all the mysteries and injustices of the McDonald's ice cream machine, the one that Jeremy O'Sullivan insists you understand first is its secret passcode. 
You press the cone icon on the screen of the Taylor C602 digital ice cream machine, he explains, then tap the buttons that show a snowflake and a milkshake to set the digits on the screen to five, then two, then three, then one. After that precise series of no fewer than 16 button presses, a menu magically unlocks. Only with this cheat code can you access the machine's vital signs, everything from the viscosity setting for its milk and sugar ingredients to the temperature of the glycol flowing through its heating element to the meanings of its many sphinx-like error messages. This menu isn't documented in any owner's manual for the Taylor Digital Ice Cream Machines that are standard equipment in more than 13,000 McDonald's restaurants across the U.S. and tens of thousands more worldwide. The machines, which have gained a reputation for being absurdly fickle and fragile. Now, the food uh, equipment giant Taylor sells the McFlurry squirting devices to McDonald's restaurants owners for about $18,000 each, and yet it keeps the machine's inner working secret from them. What's more, Taylor maintains a network of approved distributors that charge franchisees thousands of dollars a year for pricey maintenance contracts with technicians on call to come and tap that secret passcode into the device sitting on their counters. It represents, as O'Sullivan describes it, nothing short of a milkshake shakedown. Sell franchisees a complicated and fragile machine, prevent them from figuring out why it constantly breaks, take a cut of the distributor's profits from the repairs. It's a very common practice, especially in the tech world, as you can look through. It, it's utterly bizarre. Yeah. It, it's 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 a, uh, a, a need to repair mm-hmm. a, a, a service that, that certain companies... Uh, uh, do not want people to have the ability to do so. Apple comes to mind. First thing that came to mind with me, yeah, was was Steve Jobs and the absolute yeah. shit fit he threw because the Apple II was open hardware, yep. basically, and people were modifying it. Yeah, and hated that. And so for the Macintosh, you couldn't even get inside it. Yeah. without special tools. I mean, even the even the RAM and Mac computers are are fully soldered to the system now. S- the new iMacs, you can't remove anything. A couple of the older ones, you could slot your own RAM and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but this is this is even worse. It's like if oh, I wanted yeah. to change user settings or or anything on my my MacBook, it's like every time I wanted to do anything, I'd have to go to the Genius Bar. Yeah. Yeah, but this is, like you said, this is so much worse because this is such a niche product. Yeah. This isn't something like an iPhone that everyone has. So 34-year-old Sullivan and his partner, 33-year-old Melissa Nelson, began selling a gadget about the size of a small paperback book, uh, which they called Kitsch. Um, It essentially hacks your hostile dairy extrusion appliance and offers access to its forbidden secrets. 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 <laughs> Kitch acts as a surveillance bug inside the machine, intercepting and eavesdropping on communications between its components and send. Uh, I'm sorry, and sending them to a far friendlier user interface than the one Taylor intended. The device not only displays all of the machine's hidden internal data, but logs it over time and even suggests troubleshooting solutions all via the web or an app. Now, the Kitsch creators believe Taylor hired private detectives to obtain their device. Taylor recently unveiled its own competing internet-connected monitoring product, and McDonald's has gone so far as to send emails to McDonald's franchisees warning them that the Kitsch device breaches a Taylor machine's, quote, confidential information and can even cause, quote, serious human injury we'll get deeper into that in a little bit but you can kind of see what's going on with this product this company taylor is basically like cybernet it doesn't want anyone to have anything to do with its product there's gotta be 
McDonald's has to be getting something out of these kickbacks. Like yeah. this, this has to be one of those under table, under the table agreements because McDonald's is such a phenomenally powerful corporation, and the power that they exercise over their franchisees is so absolute. Yeah. That like you have to use either the Taylor thing or they say later a different Italian make that right. not a lot of people do because it's more expensive. More and expensive. And the parts come from Italy. And yeah, and you have to yeah. wait like five weeks to get the parts if it breaks. So so it's, it's the key to McDonald's success and it's the evil of their corporation that they have such absolute control over what their franchisees do. Because McDonald's, as we've learned in the past years, is not a food company. McDonald's is a real estate company. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you, actually, real quick, can you just go into a little bit more detail about that for our listeners? Sure. And uh, as always, I recommend the Michael Keaton film, The Founder. We uh, highly recommend that movie. Which McDonald's <laughs> doesn't want you to watch. But <laughs> like, if, if, if being a franchisee of McDonald's, meaning you pay them to use the McDonald's name and you set up a restaurant, et cetera, and you, that, that's yours, but you have the McDonald's name, um, you have to buy the land from McDonald's that you put McDo- a McDonald's thing on. Mm-hmm. You can't pick out a parcel of land. Uh, as you could say, if I wanted to open a pizza hut, mm-hmm. I would go, hey, I have this location over here. I bought the land. I want to do a pizza hut. I'm going to pay the franchise fee. They send you all the materials. You make a pizza hut. You can't do that with McDonald's. Because mm-hmm. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, quotation marks, <laughs> wanted to exercise that degree of absolute control, standardization. It's it's what makes McDonald's, like, why everybody goes to every McDonald's and you have the McDonald's experience. Mm-hmm. But you're stuck. You have to do what they say because you're – Leasing the land. Yeah. It's a real estate company. <laughs> That's yeah. where their money comes yeah, from. Basically. It's like how Tesla is not a car company. Yeah. Tesla's value is from its proprietary battery technology. Yeah. They don't give a shit about selling cars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Further down the line here, when the hundreds of highly engineered components in Taylor's C602 are working in concert, the machine's performance is a smooth display of efficiency and power. Like other ice cream machines, it takes in liquid ingredients through a hopper and then freezes them in a spinning barrel, pulling tiny sheets of the frozen mixture off the surface of the barrel's cold metal with scraper blades, mixing it repeatedly to create the smallest possible ice crystals, and then pushing it through a nozzle into an awaiting cup or cone. But what makes the machine special? is that it has two hoppers and two barrels, each working independently with precise settings to produce both milkshakes and soft serves simultaneously. It uses a pump rather than gravity like many other machines to accelerate the flow of McFlurries and fudge sundaes. And while other ice cream machines have to be disassembled and cleaned daily and any leftover contents discarded, McDonald's Taylor machines use a daily heat treatment process designed to jack up their contents temperatures to 151 degrees Fahrenheit, pasteurize them for a minimum of 30 minutes, and then refreeze them again in a one once-a-night cycle, a modern marvel of hygiene and cost savings. Now, that is a huge get for these companies because, again, it means that they don't have to do these daily cleans of these machines. It can just do it on its own. No, the, the labor costs of people having to stay that much yeah. extra to clean out an ice cream machine. Yeah. If you've ever worked anywhere with an, a, a saucer of ice cream machine, my, my, you know the horror. My first job ever was at Mountain Creek in the food industry. Oh, like in, in the food service area. And, you know, that was, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, this, so. uh, this, uh, you, you can picture it anytime you go get a Slurpee at McDonald's or you get your own soft serve at a buffet. Yep. You, you pull that handle to the side and, yep. and it just falls <laughs> out like out of an ass. <laughs> <laughs> this is much better, but it's so complicated. Yeah. So complicated. So every two weeks, all of Taylor's precisely engineered components have to be disassembled and sanitized. Some pieces have to be carefully lubricated. The machine's parts include no fewer than two dozen rubber and plastic O-rings of different sizes. Leave a single one out, and the pump can fail 
or liquid ingredients can leak out of the machine. So the tech manager for one of McDonald's franchisees told me, uh, speaking as the reporter here, he has reassembled Taylor's ice cream machines more than 100 times and had them work on the first try at most 10 of those times. Quote, they're very, very, very finicky, he oh. says. I, I love the analogy they make in this. It's, it's, it's the difference between the amount of work you have to put into owning a Toyota, yeah. which is none, mm-hmm. or driving a Ferrari. Yeah, which is which, all which the is, maintenance. Yeah, that's, you're a Ferrari guy now. You, that's you, part you of are now a Ferrari guy. That yep. is your job. And you know what? It's going to be great. It's going to be great because it's a Ferrari. But oh my God. The machine's automated nightly pasteurization process, rather than make life easier for restaurant managers, has become their biggest albatross. Leave the machine with a bit too much or too little ingredients mixture in its hopper, accidentally turn it off or unplug it at the wrong moment, or fall victim to myriad, my, myriad. myriad other trivial errors or acts of God, and the four-hour pasteurization process fails and offers a generic, inscrutable error message, meaning that the machine won't work until the entire four hours of heating and freezing repeats. PC load letter? What the <laughs> fuck does that mean? Legit. Often in the middle of peak ice cream sales hours. Now, the results can be hundreds of dollars in sales immediately lost, especially, O'Sullivan explains, during shamrock season when McDonald's offers a St. Patrick's Day-themed mint green milkshake that boosts shake sales as much as tenfold. Quote, shamrock season is a big fucking deal, O'Sullivan <laughs> emphasizes. Now, I don't like them. Really? Oh, I actually really like that. What What is a shamrock shake supposed to taste like? It's vanilla mint. That's what it is. That's okay. all. Because <laughs> vanilla's there. That doesn't taste like mint to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed. To, it's just it's, There's a toothpaste element to it, but I, I do not get feel refreshed. That. I can get behind that. It's it's a very. I would say it's yeah. an acquired taste. I like toothpaste. Like, <laughs> but you don't want to drink it. Yeah, sometimes if I don't feel like <laughs> chewing gum, I'll just do a little bit of toothpaste in my mouth. Are you serious? And just swish it around. Yeah, a little it up. weird, but okay. Yeah. Um, hey, it's man, very refreshing. Live your life. They're very refreshing. Not dry, by the way. There's water involved. <laughs> Um, the website McBroken.com, which uses a bot to automatically attempt to place an online order for ice cream at every McDonald's in America every 20 to 30 minutes and measures the results, reveals that at any given time over the past two months, and this article was written, uh, I believe, only a couple weeks ago, um, somewhere between 5 and 16% of all U.S. McDonald's are unable to sell ice cream. That's how many break down. Now, we're going to get a little bit more into uh, O'Sullivan and um, his partner, uh, uh, Melissa. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, I don't it's a war, name. guys. It's a war. Yeah. By the way, this article came out on 420. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shamrock Shake 420. Woo. Um, so the two met at Bucknell University and started dating in the late 2000s. After a few years, they began brainstorming business plans of their own and zeroed in on the frozen yogurt craze that was dotting the country with Pinkberry and Red Mango outlets. So this was probably around 2010 or so when Red Mango was everywhere. It's true. I haven't seen one in a while. Me neither. Yeah, Although, I don't know growing up, around. I feel like it was the same. Like My family and I went probably two or three times a week to TCBY. I've never been there. Oh, we loved it. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, Nelson, sorry, Melissa Nelson is her name. Uh, Nelson and O'Sullivan uh, began to develop what they called the Frobot. It was a bulky enclosure built like a closet around a Taylor frozen yogurt machine with its own TV-sized touchscreen interface and credit card reader. In other words, they set out to condense the frozen yogurt store into a single autonomous appliance. They hoped to install their Frobot in public spaces, turn it on, and let it extrude revenue. 
Uh, it took them three years to build their first robot prototype with a tailor machine brought from Craigslist and help the engineers they hired on contract. So they set up a robot in Washington, D.C., co-working space, and the towering white cabinet proved a moderate success. The couple took the leap, quit their jobs, and moved to San Francisco to pursue their startup full-time, putting a next-gen robot prototype in, in event spaces next to the Palace of Fine Arts, where they say it began generating as much as $500 a day. Damn. Oh, you know what? Im- imagine one of those in, like, um, Javits Center for com- yeah. for Comic-Con. Yeah. Because I overheat every... Yeah. <laughs> I would love a, just a frozen yogurt oh, robot. Oh, it'd be amazing. Like, yeah. Hello, Rob. <laughs> strawberry for you. <laughs> I want chocolate. You get strawberry. <laughs> you don't need it. Low fat. Why don't you oh. watch what you're eating? <laughs> oh, you're being very mean to me, but I'm under a lot of makeup, so I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now that Frobot was out in the world, its inventors had a problem. They wanted their machine to be fully autonomous to convert tangy dairy ingredients into money with minimal human intervention. Regulations set by the National Sanitation Foundation required them to periodically monitor the temperature of the product to make sure their machine wasn't selling putrid fr- uh, refrozen yogurt full of the wrong sort of microorganisms. The temperature data was <laughs> locked up in the Taylor machine inside Frobot when they, uh, where they couldn't access it. They were intrigued, however, to see that the technician they called out to serve their machine could summon up exactly the figure they needed by entering the 5231 secret code that appeared nowhere in their owner's manual. So, O'Sullivan wrote to a contact at Taylor to ask for advice about a technical question what they were stuck on. The Taylor executive wrote back that, quote, if you want to tap into the controls or sniff data packets, it will need to be without the assistance of Taylor at this time due to our current security policies, end quote. Now, that response may not have been entirely friendly, but O'Sullivan read it to mean, we won't help you hack our machines, but we know what you're doing, and we're not going to ask you to stop. In other words, he puts it, quote, carte blanche. Hmm. In 2017, Frobot began to catch on. Tesla, installed two in a factory cafeteria, speaking of. Levi's Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. See, hearing that, it's just, it reminds me of when the Tesla people were trying to unionize. The Elon Santa had an email like, guys, unions make things so difficult. Besides, we have ice cream parties. <laughs> like, I'm not even being hyperbolic. Like, right, guys, a real email he said. Hold on, let's, let's, let's hear him out. We do have ice cream parties. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers, installed another six, and the football team's owner invested in Nelson and O'Sullivan's company. Taylor, meanwhile, remained amicable uh, enough towards Frobot that it invited Nelson and O'Sullivan to present it at booths at food industry uh, trade shows. On one occasion, they watched as the ingredients mixture inside a Frobot at the Tesla factory bubbled up and out of the Taylor machine, catastrophically hemorrhaging liquid yogurt into the surrounding cabinet. I'm kind of imagining the car uh, crash in Demolition Man when it becomes like that foam. Um, You're safe. (laughs) Seven hours later, they saw a Tesla food service worker casually open the cabinet, leave the sticky mess untouched, and quietly replace a missing plastic uh, paddle component he'd forgotten when cleaning the machine. Their business, it soon became clear, was the very opposite of automation. No one at Levi's Stadium or Tesla seemed capable of setting up or maintaining a Frobot without the constant hands-on help of Frobot's founders. And the problem was the Taylor machine at Frobot's core. Holy shit. O'Sullivan recalls realizing, these machines just suck. (laughs) I love that realization. 
Uh, in the spring of 2019, they relaunched their company, this time as Kitsch, uh, which is spelled K-Y-T-C-H. Uh, in a sign of the grandeur of their ambitions, they chose a name that suggests the idea of an entire connected kitchen, leaving open the possibility of products that went well beyond Taylor's ice cream machines. It's also got a Y in it, so you know they immediately had investors out the door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they offered a six-month free trial before a $10 month subscription kicked in. After finding a few initial customers at Burger King's and Super Duper Burgers, they finally began to tap into their real target market, the franchisees who not only represented the biggest single collection of Taylor machine owners, but the ones who used the most complex, most often borked digital version of Taylor's products, McDonald's. Now, many McDonald's owners were paying thousands of dollars a month to Taylor distributors and service fees, as we said before, uh, often making simple changes locked behind that menu. So they added a feature to Kitsch called Kitsch Assist that could automatically detect some of the machine's common pitfalls as they happened and tweak those hidden variables to prevent some of the mishaps before they occurred. Another one of the franchisee's technicians told the uh, reporter that despite Kitsch nearly doubling its price over the past two years and adding a $250 activation fee, it still saves franchisees easily thousands of dollars a month. Yeah, that's, that's how often these technicians have to come out yeah. and change an O-ring. Not only that, but they said in the beginning of the article, every two weeks it needs to be disassembled. Yeah. So that even if it doesn't break, you're still paying for that repair tech every two weeks. Yeah. The sev- and the 17-year-old is not putting that back together correctly. Yeah. No, like, not at all. Let's, let's be honest. Within- He's tired and horny. <laughs> I'm so horny all the time. <laughs> I know, Johnny. <laughs> Within two days of Kitsch's late April 2019 launch, O'Sullivan and Nelson noticed that an executive they knew at Taylor had placed an order for a device. So they wrote to their Taylor contact, politely asking what Taylor's stance was on their product and what the company intended to do with it. When they got no response, they canceled the order and refunded Taylor's money. A couple of months later, they saw another strange order, this time from someone at Taylor's outside law firm, Brinks Gilson. Recognizing the firm's name, they canceled that sale, too. Over the next month, the suspicious buying attempts continued. While most franchisees would order kitsch sent to their restaurant, these supposed customers were asking for them to be sent to home addresses. Checking those addresses against public records, Nelson and O'Sullivan matched one with someone listed on LinkedIn as an employee of Marksman, an intellectual property private investigation firm. They came to suspect that God, Taylor they're bad at this. Yeah, they're they, so bad at they this. They came to suspect that Taylor had hired private investigators who were using fake names to try to get their hands on the device that was hacking their machines. They literally hired spies, but they let the spies have high I am a spy signs yeah. on their on their shirts. Jesus Christ. As Kitsch hit its stride over the months that followed, the strange orders stopped and there were no more clear signs of animosity from Taylor. Nelson and O'Sullivan were excited to see an email in February 2020 from Tyler Gamble, head of the equipment team for the National Supply Leadership Council, a flagship group of McDonald's franchisees. Gamble was hearing lots of buzz around Kitsch, his email read, and wanted to look into using it in his own 10 restaurants. On a phone call, O'Sullivan remembers Gamble being friendly and interested in Kitsch, but also warning them about the device's ability to bypass Taylor's secured, uh, secret menu code, which he described as a risky move that might incur Taylor's wrath. Quote, On the shake machine, I want to assure you guys that I will not feel my tenure as your equipment lead has been a success unless we find a way to ensure that McDonald's is no longer the butt of the joke. We won't stop until we get this right. Uh, that was a speech he gave at the National Owners Association, which is a uh, the biggest trade group show of McDonald's franchisees. 
Uh, he continued by saying, quote, I've had the opportunity to have their devices in my restaurants over the last several months. To be clear, this is not a McDonald's approved piece of equipment and the suppliers are not yet fully on board with it. But it's my job to bring you feedback on equipment and best thinking as it relates to the industry. And I really think that this device can reduce complexity in your restaurants, making the lives of your teams easier and help drive cash flow. So this guy is one of the biggest owners of a McDonald's franchise, mm -hmm. and he is speaking at the biggest McDonald's yeah. trade show saying how he believes Kitsch is a great product for yeah. these franchisees to have. It's, it's even telling there that's kind of like, well, it's not McDonald's approved. Yeah. So, you know, we all signed the leasing agreement with McDonald's. He's so, covering like, his bases. If they start to say no, then you have, yeah. you, you have to say no as well. Then, on November 2nd, the axe fell. Kitsch's shocked salesperson forwarded Nelson and O'Sullivan an email that McDonald's had apparently sent to every franchise. It warned first that installing Kitsch voided Taylor's machine's warranties, a familiar threat from corporations fighting right-to-repair battles with their customers and repair yep. ears. Then it went on to state that Kitsch, quote, allows complete access to all of the equipment's controller and confidential data, Taylor and McDonald's data, not the restaurant owners, uh, that it creates a potentially... I'm sorry, a potential very serious safety risk for the crew or technician attempting to clean or repair the machine and that it could qu cause, quote, serious human injury. The email included a final warning in italics and bold, quote, McDonald's strongly recommends that you remove the kitsch device from all machines and discontinue use, mm -hmm. end quote. The very next day, McDonald's sent another note to franchisees announcing a new machine called Taylor Shake Sunday Connectivity that would essentially duplicate many of Kitsch's features. The note ended with a repeat of its bold-faced warning not to use Kitsch. Now, when Wired reached out to McDonald's and Taylor, both companies reiterated the warning that Kitsch presents danger to employees and technicians. Quote, the operation and maintenance of the specialized equipment developed by Taylor and used to produce soft serve and shake products can be complicated, reads a statement from a Taylor spokesperson. The checks and balances embedded in the controls of our equipment are meant to protect the operator and service technician when they're intact with the machine. Uh, all franchisees agreed too that the notion that Kitsch could cause human uh, could cause harm to humans was far fetched, if not impossible. Kitsch's commands don't really generally should have, have sued entirely based, based on solely that. on that notion because yeah. now the onus is on McDonald's to demonstrate that it's true. Yeah, that that this can cause the machine to malfunction in a way that will hurt you. And now also that's creating liability for Taylor because you are demonstrating the fact that this machine can hurt people. Yep. And that's 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 slander right it's, there. Is it's what a it is. very stupid thing to put in an email, and I don't know why they did it. Yeah, uh, all franchisees agreed to that the notion that Kitsch could cause harm to humans was far fetched, if not impossible. Kitsch's commands, <coughs> excuse me, don't generally affect moving parts, and Taylor's own manual tells anyone servicing or disassembling the device to unplug it before working on it. So Nelson and O'Sullivan began sleuthing. Tyler Gamble, they recalled, had told them six months earlier that one of his Taylor machines equipped with a Kitsch device had suffered a broken compressor. When they saw Gamble at the National Owners Association conference, he'd mentioned that the machine was still in the shop, which struck them as strange. Compressors don't take six months to fix. After their business cratered, O'Sullivan and Nelson began looking up the logins on Kitsch's website and saw that one of the user profiles associated with Gamble's machine in the shop had been detected a couple of months after the fateful McDonald's email in November. That deleted user was named Matt Wilson. Was Wilson one of Gamble's employees? They began to check his location based on the IP address of the networks where he'd logged in and found IPs from Arkansas, Tennessee, and Louisiana. 
When they placed those points on a map, none of them appeared at Tyler Gamble's restaurants. All the pinpoints were instead on top of facilities owned by TFG, a Taylor ice cream machine distributor. Mm. They are the worst at covering their tracks. It's, yeah. <laughs> Paper trail, I don't understand. Every time. Yeah. For <laughs> the last 50 years. Paper trails. <laughs> they always. Exist. There's always a paper trail. And it's always like, I don't understand how they do this. Uh, <laughs> it's very simple to understand how they do this. Paper trails. <laughs> Nelson and O'Sullivan had been on friendly terms with TFG executives back in their Frobot days, so they began digging through their old contacts there. They found a business card for Blaine Martin, one of TFG's owners, which had given them uh I'm sorry, which he had given them with a handshake at a trade show. To their shock, his cell phone number had been used to create the Matt Wilson Kitsch account. A Taylor distributor, it seemed, had obtained their device, and contrary to his broken compressor story, they came to suspect it had been handed over by none other than friendly Tyler Gamble. Just as Gamble was praising Kitsch on the conference stage in October, Nelson and O'Sullivan now allege he has also been helping Taylor as his, as it engineered their company's downfall, the coldest betrayal of all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you can tell the whole article he's been waiting, waiting to do that. Waiting to say, yeah. Uh. The lawsuit they're planning on is based on their claims that Gamble and likely other Kitsch users violated their contracts with Kitsch when they allegedly let Taylor analyze their devices in an effort to curry favor with McDonald's and its corporate allies. But Kitsch's co-founders make no secret that their legal threats don't end with those defendants. They say they intend to pursue their case as far as it leads all the way up the McDonald's food chain. Quote, we're very confident that we'll learn everything we need to, we need to know in discovery, O'Sullivan says, to hold every guilty party fully accountable. Now, Taylor counters that it, quote, does not possess and has never possessed a kitsch device and, quote, has no knowledge of anyone logging on to a kitsch device. But it notes that, quote, our Tennessee distributor reported to Taylor that its servicer removed a kitsch device from a customer location in order to service our product. Taylor's distributor, TFG, didn't respond to repeated requests for comment, and Tyler Gamble didn't answer Wired's questions. But in an emailed response, he described himself as, quote, kitsch's biggest advocate and argued that he had supported the startup both publicly and privately. Quote, weird they would sue someone that has been in their corner and is a paying customer. But the facts will come out. Now, quote, uh, when big guys come along and start thumping their chests around you, that's sort of a recognition that you're a threat to the alpha, ma alpha male. It shows there was a demand for kitsch and it has an opportunity to disrupt things. But when that happens, if the big guy can't keep up or they want to take the idea, then sometimes it's easier for them to just sort of bury the body. As for Nelson and O'Sullivan, they have no illusions that their legal efforts will ultimately protect Kitsch from McDonald's and Taylor's efforts to destroy it. In one of our final conversations, O'Sullivan admitted that he saw this very article as perhaps a post-mortem of his company after it had been successfully murdered by the fast food superpowers. You're kind of writing our obituary, O'Sullivan told me. We want the world to know this because it's such, I mean, this is about ice cream <laughs> but at other moments he describes kitsch's story as a kind of david and goliath right to repair struggle or even in grander terms a valiant effort to fix a very non-critical but ubiquitous piece of the world's infrastructure an effort that has been defeated not by the flaws of that machine but by the people controlling it some of whom would rather it remain broken there's the ice cream machine o'sullivan says darkly and then there's the machine behind the machine They've found the secret code to crack. They haven't found the secret code to crack that one yet. That's the end of the article. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, kind of sad and evil. It it's... is because it also does end in a very sad way. Yeah. You know, this company has been basically disbanded. Yep. 
I mean, it's an established legal precedent that when you buy something, like if they were leasing Taylor machines, mm-hmm. that's a different story. But you own the machine. You can do with it what you want. But And that's a legal precedent. But now this is something companies have been doing to get around that for years, which mm-hmm. is, well, it violates the warranty. So we're not liable if anything happens to the machine, yep. even if it's not because of what you did. Yeah. It's, there, there's, a, there's, a real, there's a real windy loophole in mm. warranties that, that a lot of companies don't really want you to. And, it, and again, it's, it's just to you know, cover their tracks. It's to protect them from things like this. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if a company has a product and you go in there to do something and something else breaks, that's not on the company. But with these machines... It's again. It's a monopoly. Yeah. Imagine destroying a company for the right to continue not having things work correctly. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, insane. Yeah. And uh, this one's just crazy, just because of uh, how much is in that article. And it, it really is kind of a a roller coaster ride because mm-hmm. of the way it kind of goes up and down with what's going on. And you see the the beginning of their company in twenty uh, twenty seventeen, and Frobot's yep. starting to take off, and then Kitsch gets huge in twenty nineteen. <laughs> I know, right? We should get one for the uh, studio. Yeah. Oh my god, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be so cool. Be so <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's that's the article, guys. All right. God, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I could go for some yeah. uh, frozen yogurt. So, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, – God, it, it, this is like the Michael Mann's The Insider, but instead of cigarettes, it's ice cream. Um, yeah. So, Nick, uh, based on based on this article, which, again, everyone should read. It's just a good story. Uh, what do you got? All right. So, you know, recently we've been trying really hard to kind of go in a different direction to kind of make new – new ideas out of mm-hmm. different things and kind of just make them far-fetched. I couldn't do that with this one. Not that I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I Perf- mean, perfectly valid. It's yeah, all there. This article has it there. And this is this is honestly a really intriguing story to mm-hmm. me. Um, it's the most, like, complete story we've had yeah. since Michael Malloy. Yeah. Uh, the, the drunken Rasputin. And, you know, there was character in that. There was development. There was plot. There was yep. an arc. There was an ending. Yeah. There's the same thing here. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of development. There's so much plot. There's twists. Yeah. And I, I do see this one basically as a sort of biopic. Um, I don't, can you call it a biopic if it's about a company? Like, is the founder a bio? Oh, it's about well, Ray Kroc. about Ray Kroc, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, that obviously that movie specifically came jumping to mind. But also the Steve Jobs movie that mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Sorkin did. Um, so... My my idea here is that we follow the the career path of Jeremy and Melissa as they build Kitsch Hardware, but I want the movie to uh, take place during the trial. Mm-hmm. So as they're on the stand telling all these things, the movie takes place in the present and then cuts back to flashbacks. We're, yeah, we're vibing a little bit of the social network there. Yep. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So very similar uh, where we kind of go back to the beginning and all that stuff. And there's a lot of espionage. There's a lot of, you know, uh, backstabbing things in this that... Ham-fisted espionage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of that can be worked really well. So basically my my film just follows these two people uh while they're in the trial talking about what's happened and where they're at now and all that um so the title of my movie is soft served um my director of choice is steven soderbergh uh because i want him to take a helm at this one uh for my cast i have four hold on one second i have four people one two three four i have five people um for jeremy o'sullivan i had to go with seth rogan okay one the guy looks like 
Seth Rogen. Um, <laughs> but two, because of Steve, uh, Steve, because of Seth's performance as Wozniak in the Steve Jobs movie. So great in that movie. Fantastic. Um, as Melissa Nelson, his partner, uh, I chose Jenny Slate because I love her. Now, this is not going to be, it's, it's going to be funny, but this is not a comedy. I want the two of them to be dramatic in this film. Um, my, <laughs> my, my Taylor representative, who's I'm going to guess is kind of like the, you know, the, the, the man behind the curtain, mm-hmm. uh, is going to be played by Sam Rockwell. Okay, so is he is he the guy that betrayed them from McDonald's? Or? No, so I have I have Gamble as well. Okay, uh, so I have a Taylor representative and a Mike McDonald's representative. My Taylor representative is Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. My McDonald's representative is Kate Blanchett. Oh, uh, and then for Tyler Gamble, I chose Jeffrey Donovan from Burn Notice. Oh, okay, um, because he's really good at kind of that. Yeah, he's really good at playing a douche. Yeah. Um, he's done it before. Small role in Hitch oh, comes yeah. to mind. It seems like he has that car salesman smile. Yeah, and, like, very much know. so. Um, uh, but that's that's basically the the film that I've come up with here. It's it's kind of this trial between McDonald's, Taylor, and, and Kitsch, and uh, going back into mm-hmm. what caused all this and everything. And, and I do want to explore the espionage side of things as if this were a spy movie. Mm-hmm. But a spy movie that doesn't work right. No, it, it, did you see I Tanya? Uh, no, I haven't. So, there's a guy uh, in the movie. It's a real dude who's the one who like perpetrated the uh, breaking of another figure skater's leg. Mm-hmm. And this guy is like so like weirdly delusional and full of himself. He describes himself as like a bodyguard and a special operations guy. And it's just this weird fat guy who's a friend of Tanya Harding's ex-husband. Who's yeah. Just, like, positioning is, he's one of those guys like has definitely thought about telling people that he was a navy seal <laughs> but like he wasn't but wasn't yeah just <laughs> just uh what is it uh uh stolen valor stolen valor yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's following an account on youtube and it was a former navy seal who just like calls people and it's like you know i have i have access to the list of everyone who's ever been a navy seal <laughs> right like, dude i love I watching that spreadsheet i love watching the stolen valor videos where people just fucking call them out yeah just like that's not even remotely a uniform <laughs> the medals are wrong yeah <laughs> it's so good yeah. um but yeah that's 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 what i have so rob what do you got uh yeah again it was presented it's an entirety in, in front of us and uh I, th- I thought you might want to do what it is you just described so mm-hmm. i figured i'd go the other way okay um the words that came to mind after i was done reading this were absurdist and dystopian, mm-hmm. uh, it is. It's it's an absurd dystopic dystopic world that yeah. we have just witnessed a, gl- a glance into. So well, it's it's also interesting just because at the end of the article they talk about how like this is ubiquitous and it's not a critical issue that's that's there, but it is something that should be addressed. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, <laughs> I just don't want it to be addressed. <laughs> it's the words. It can't be. It's not broke. Don't fix it because it's broke. But it's they still don't want to fix it. So broke. Yeah, I just I hate it. So if it's broke, just leave it alone. <laughs> so I like Terry Gilliam movies. Uh, Brazil is a great movie, and I always love that Robert De Niro's character in that is described as a renegade air conditioning repairman. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just the greatest thing you could ever say about Bra- the character. Brazil is my favorite Terry Gilliam film. Yeah. Just that's, that always sticks in my head. He's a renegade <laughs> air conditioning <laughs> specialist. Uh, so I think Brazil in this. My movie's called Frost in the Machine. Nice. Uh, for a director, um, I settled on Ryan Johnson after a lot of thinking. Okay. 
Um, I have alternative directors. Okay. Uh, that I was not 100% about putting forward for sure because they've each only done one movie. Uh, and those are Bo Burnham and Emerald Fennel. So I know it, Bo did, which one did eighth he grade. do? Boyhood? Oh, eighth grade. Not boyhood. <laughs> That's eighth, gra- eighth grade. Yeah, Bo did eighth grade, which is really good. Okay. And Emerald Fennel uh, did one of my favorite movies of last year, uh, Promising Young Woman. I haven't seen that which one. Which Bo is Is that the one with Carrie? Carrie Mulligan, yeah. Bo Burnham. Uh, oh, Bo's in it? Yes, I don't yes, know that. yes. Uh, it's it's the first project I've seen that's bold enough to have normal people stand next to Bo, uh, <laughs> six and a half feet yeah. tall. Everything tall else he's ever hell. been in, he's sitting down or things yeah, are yeah, framed. Yeah. He's <laughs> fucking huge. His Carrie Mulligan's like five seven. He's also <laughs> lanky as all hell too. Yeah, he's not a like he's not a large frame yeah. man. He's just very tall. Uh, yeah, so those are the alternative directors I had. It's just they each only have one movie to their credit. Right, very good movies. I just don't know enough about them thematically and visually sure. to be like. For sure, them. Uh, Who'd you go with, Ryan Johnson? I ultimately settled on Ryan Johnson, but those are my those are my alternates. Okay. <laughs> uh, if Ryan Second Johnson string. gets hurt, then we'll, <laughs> they, they can come on in the seventh inning. Uh, so my movie is in, it's set in a, a I hesitate to say dystopic, but definitely very oppressive uh, future England. Okay. Uh, there's one restaurant. Uh, it's it's beyond franchise monopoly. There's one place you go to for food. So it's literally like Demolition Man with Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, but this was more of a, like a decision of standardization and bureaucracy. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, that there's just one restaurant you go to. Uh, and I have the cast of David Oyelowo as okay. the manager of this restaurant, as our renegade uh, ice cream specialist, Emily Blunt, <laughs> uh, and as a... Uh, a government official, the um, the the minister of frozen treats is what I settled on for his his the title. Minister of frozen treats. Yes, uh, uh, deputy minister of frozen treats. Deputy Sorry, minister. there's a minister of treats <laughs> uh, above him. Uh, uh, is going to be played by Rowan Atkinson. Okay. In a role that I based mostly on Wilford Brimley in Seinfeld in the uh, Postmaster episode. <laughs> Postmaster he, General? Yes, when he threatens people for uh, trying to cancel the mail. Do you like golf, Mr. Kramer? <laughs> <laughs> it's a phenomenal episode of Seinfeld. Um, but basically in this, uh, David Yellowo is a, a very, very happy uh, bureaucrat in charge of one of these restaurants. Did you have a name for it, the restaurant? I, I, I have not. Okay. Uh, I thought maybe it would just be like a very generic term, like the confectionery or something. Okay, okay. Um, because it's it's that sort of like extremely homogenous. It's here for the purpose of providing sustenance. Yeah, that is all. Uh, bureau- bureaucratic dystopias are my favorite. <laughs> they're the easiest to disrupt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in the course of this, uh, he Emily Blunt is there all the time because the machine doesn't work all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, as they develop a relationship out of that, I don't think it's going to be romantic. I just mean that they be- yeah. they'd become close with each other over that. And she's extremely cynical because she knows she knows the ins and outs of these machines and right. that they don't work. And that's kind of their springboard for like, is everything like this? Like, are we just sort of doing the work and not asking the questions, but huh. everything does not, as a process, actually work without right. constant revision and repair and, and supervision? Yeah. Like, are we just doing this because it was codified and written told. down? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, we standardized it. Okay. Well, who did? Because, oh, oh the time for questions is <laughs> yeah, It's It's basically a movie like that of, of starting to ask questions at different levels yeah. of society. Um, and then I did wanted to reference the article very specifically because by the end of the movie, I want them to get hauled into, like, you know, the, minis- the Ministry of, of Agriculture and whatever and get 
their asses chewed out by Rowan Atkinson. And he, he's very pleased with himself because he's given like a very brow-beating Peter Capaldi type of speech. It, finally, David Yellow, who's this very chill bureaucrat, he's just like, it's about fucking ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute lunatic. <laughs> and it's, it just it also it just suddenly strikes Rowan Atkinson's like, oh, this is my entire world, and I take it very seriously. But it's <laughs> ice cream. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, no, I'm good to I'm good to go that direction because I was I was struggling with how to kind of make this something that's different than what it is. The problem with the re- directly adapting the article is. We don't have an end yet. It's, I was going to say, it's not over. Yeah. Um, I was I was toying with the idea of, very similar to you, making it a different restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, making it something a little bit more obscure or vague mm-hmm. uh, so that it can't be construed as a specific thing. Yeah, I'm not putting um, a franchise or restaurant in my movies. Eat shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the idea. I want to I wanna float. I want to float down uh, your river, sir. <laughs> um, Up a lazy river. <laughs> so... Uh, David's character is he he's in charge of a, a location of of the uh, of the confectionery and is he one of the people that is questioning this existence not at first no, okay he's just he's he's the manager of the restaurant okay he does he does scheduling for people who come in and work at the restaurant and he does he fills out the spreadsheets for food orders and he makes sure everything gets cleaned and he's, yeah he's just he's a low level bureaucrat okay his father and his father was a mid level bureaucrat. And you hope there, someday to be a mid-level bureaucrat, too. In your idea, do you think there's a big menu of food options, or is it small because they don't want people having too many I- options? So generally, um, when governments standardize things, uh, especially when it comes to food, um, that gets racially homogenous. Yeah. Um, if you put the American government in charge of food you know exactly what kind of menu it's going to be. Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of spice on that menu. Right. Um, <laughs> Burgers, yeah. hot dogs, I mean, steak. We, we, we see it in action in, in public schools. Yeah. Um, because that's the prevailing kind of people in charge. Yep. Or white people. So I, I think ultimately the, the menu, if you want to call it that, in this place is going to be just a, a select series of meals, numbered, uh, that all contain what every meal should standardize do so. Like, they're probably adhering very much to a food pyramid type of thing. I want to invent our own kind of food pyramid for this. Yeah, I really like this world building you're doing. I have an idea that the menu should consist of one option from different cultures. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a Middle Eastern dish that has a little bit of spice to it. Mm-hmm. There's an American. Oh, for your carbohydrates, yeah, you can get rice or maybe you can get curry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very mild curry. Yeah. <laughs> and then some guy like asks, like, can I get like hot sauce or something? And like, what? Additional? <laughs> you want me to open the machine and <laughs> score it more? I don't. I don't understand how. How should I charge you for said hot sauce? How do you want this oh, to? <laughs> but if I hit the button, <laughs> then more curry will come out. Do you want more curry? Is you want that more, you... No, I want more hot sauce on the curry. If I give you more this curry, button, will that... This button makes curry. Will that satiate your, your need for curry? No, no, no. Get off the curry. We're not... <laughs> do you want me to take your curry back? <laughs> like, he truly can He just can't that, 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 that is this world that I've constructed. Yeah. Like, but if I hit the button, it's curry... 
it's a it's, it's done. It's a a different type of satire of idiocracy. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. that's. I think that's the direction it's leading. Yeah, right? bureaucracy has no system in place other right. than the old American governmental system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like everything is there. It's just it's been done by committee, and it was done by committee like eighty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like, but okay. There's hot sauce in the curry. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> okay. I want more of that. <laughs> but this button. I can only the give you the done. curry. It's already done. Okay, okay. How do you get the hot sauce on the curry? I hit the button. <laughs> I hit the button and it comes with the curry. And the curry is. <laughs> huh. <laughs> I, sp- I could open the machine. All right, you know what? I'll get a burger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> beep. Did you still want the curry? No, I don't want the curry. <laughs> it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's, I, that's writ large what this society is. In, Every place is like that. We're just at a restaurant. You know what I also really like? The idea that it should be built like a frozen yogurt shop mm. where all the options are just these kind yeah. of vending machines. It, everything is a dispensary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, you, you put your tray, like, in this slot underneath the dispenser. Yeah. And it's actually, like, just high enough where you can tell it always splatters yeah. a little bit. And people are getting stuff on their clothes. <laughs> okay. What do you tell them to lower their tray? I don't know. <laughs> well, why don't you make the thing that you put the tray on higher? No, no, no. It's already made. It's done. <laughs> it's it's already made. We don't need to. Why would we make it again? It's yeah. already been done. <laughs> it, it's like, you know, we are increasingly living in a society that is post- um, personal renovation and personal modification and all these different yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, like uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite things about the book World War Z. When society collapses and is rebuilding, the most valuable people are people who do stuff on their own. Yeah, who like my dad, who knows how to fix stuff around his house. Right, right, right. Or knows how to put things in a garden and make them grow. Yeah, like, I'm useless. I can. Yeah. I have a very precise and fairly valuable skill, which is video editing. Yeah, I'm useless. I don't know how to make the dryer. Start drying again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is funny because, ironically, I fixed that dryer. <laughs> I, I, I handed you a tool during that process. And, and, like, I'm getting pretty handy, but, like, we're not in a society that values that or teaches that. And increasingly, things are given to us as is, like what you said about MacBooks. Yeah. Or uh, that, like, I would love more RAM in my MacBook. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, wait until the next one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you got to wait until you can upgrade. Uh, the idea of having the trays very similar to kind of like prison trays mm-hmm. um, intrigues me as well. It's yeah. very, like Free you said, it's, it's very Brazil. Yeah. yeah. It's very Brazil. Uh, it's very We Happy Few. I don't know yeah. if you ever played that game oh, yeah. at all. You know what it is ultimately? It's uh, it's Steve Jobs without the innovation of Steve without Jobs. Without the creativity. Yeah. that's what, There's no creativity built into this universe, yeah. and that's what's great about it. We have this... It's just it's just bleak. It's grays mm-hmm. and, and and you know in, in a way a lot of a lot of dystopian futures are like that 1984 yeah. and all that stuff. But it's in a different realm. Yeah. It's not just a dystopian future where you know everyone is kind of prisoned or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just that we only have this one restaurant. Yeah. That's and there's you know in your idea, do you think there's grocery stores? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's so there's you can do it yeah. for yourself. Yeah, but if you want to go out to eat, restaurant, there's the, the, that the restaurant. is all yeah. you have. Yeah, where it's being provided. It's um, like one of my favorite movies is The Lighthouse, which is an allegory of Prometheus. Right. This is an allegory of Sisyphus. Yeah, pushing the stone up the hill. Yep. Over Just and over to watch again it roll down because that is what 
you do. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get the stone up the hill. Why? Because that's where it goes. <laughs> but it, it just keeps coming back down. Yeah. Well, then you got to just do it again. Like, this is the this is a worse kind of hell for Sisyphus. Like, he is aware that what he's doing is mindless and has no end. Yeah. But they're all pushing the stone up the hill because they're supposed to push the stone up the hill. Yeah, yeah. And now it's back at the bottom. And well, they, I have to get it up the hill. They don't question that it's back at the bottom. They no just ever, do it again. No one's ever asked why the <laughs> stone goes at the top of the hill. This is how, this is how it runs. Well, the stone goes at the top of the hill. Why? Because this says so. But what is the purpose of the stone being at the top of the hill? It's I don't that, know. That's where it's got to go. This is what I do from 9 to 5. This is what my job is, and then I yeah. go home. Um, read me off your cast again once more. Sure. The manager of the restaurant... Um, which I've just been calling the confectionery, but there's uh, something better we can come up with, is David Yellowo. kind of like the confectionery. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that just means a place that it's sells... sugar, right? Su- sugary foods? Yeah, I, I got to double check. Um, and obviously you can't call it the dispensary. <laughs> uh, Emily Blunt and Rowan Atkinson are my prime cast. There's, there's going to be other characters, but... Emily Blunt and Rowan Atkinson. And mm-hmm. you said it takes place in, in England. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh... Why England? Why England? Because it's small. Okay. Because um, it's not racially homogenous, but it is fairly culturally homogenous in okay. some ways. Okay. Um, it's it's just different enough from America, but similar enough in certain yeah. ways. Yeah, I got you. You know, London has a, a large Pakistani population and Indian population, all these different things, but it's still very much London. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's just a long history of mildly dystopic things taking place in England. So here's my question. If people can still go to grocery stores and buy what they want and cook dinners and have cultural dinners and things like Mm -hmm. that, what is our logic for having them go to this restaurant? Why does anyone go to any restaurant? Why do we go to Chili's? I guess so, but the difference being that everything is so bland. It's a place to go so I don't have to do it myself. So you don't have to. Okay, okay. I can get behind that. That makes sense. Like, I can, I can go to the uh, store right now and buy a box of mozzarella sticks, and we can have people over and eat mozzarella sticks. Yeah. We're, we're probably going to go get half-price apps at Applebee's. <laughs> oh, I miss half-price Because I don't have to do it myself, and it's a environment. And it's, it's an environment price. that is not uh, that I'm not responsible for. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I want to mix up this cast. We're getting really philosophical. <laughs> yeah, we are. No, but that's great, because I think that's a, that is the weird thing about this article. It asks so many questions Mm. it's such a simple concept ice cream machines break at mcdonald's someone wanted to fix them but there is so much more to it and that's what like drew me to this article there was something there that i still haven't figured out yet it's why i wanted to do this this sort of bureaucratic dystopia is because i can't crack it either yeah they don't work there's a massive expenditure from your franchisees yeah I, like what, the you, only explanation to me is either people so set in their ways that this is how we do it. I don't want some fucking guy yeah. coming in here and changing my protocols, yeah, yeah. our protocols, because we wrote those down, and this is an assault on me personally yes. as the guy who writes McDonald's protocol. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, that it's either that or we're getting kickbacks from the repairs. Yeah. Those are the only two possibilities for me, and both of those suck. But I went with you, the, I went with the former because at least that one is a good character. You have a machine that doesn't work; it's constantly broken. You have to hire a specific person to fix it. It costs an inorn an ornament amount of money and time and time, and in and you refuse. You blatantly refuse to look elsewhere because this is what you're told to do. And you've hired law firms 
<laughs> private investigation companies to stop the people who are saving you money. And I don't think anyone has stopped and actually thought about why. Yeah. I think this is just how corporate culture works. There is a new startup that is changing the way we do things. Yep. But I have a job now. It's a very, yeah. If the status quo changes, then I Then change. that means I was wrong. Yeah. I'm not wrong. Fuck you out of existence. Yes. There is such a, a conservative viewpoint of, of refusing to change. And companies, corporations specifically, billion-dollar corporations, <laughs> refuse to change. They constantly say they accept change, but they don't accept change. Yeah. It's constantly about keeping, like you said, keeping the status quo because it's what works. Yeah. When in reality, it doesn't even work. No. It, no one ever actually gives constructive criticism to their managers when they ask for it. Yeah. Or if they do, you don't see those people for a while because they get left off the schedule. Yep. Because people in middle management are there because of the way things that have worked. They have proved themselves within a system. Yeah. And then times change and they go, well, it doesn't matter. This is the way we've yeah. always done it. Yeah. <laughs> it has to come from me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that, that's a good tagline for this one. This is the way it's always been done. <laughs> um. I've never heard that question before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the that 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 should be like the opening scene. I want in this film there should be an a long opening scene before title card, like a 20-minute, 30-minute opening scene mm -hmm. that just takes place in one of these restaurants. Sure. And it's just a conversation. False protagonist. Yeah. It's just a conversation between the customer and the guy behind the register about the curry and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have all these different options, but it's only one option for each. Yep. You don't get like, oh, what kind of you know, what kind of uh, Pakistani dishes do you have? He goes, we have the Pakistani dish. Yeah. It's called the Pakistani dish. You know, it's there's yep. no, like, it's not even labeled. It's like, we have the American dish, uh, and it's, it's a hamburger. Uh, if yeah. you want to add cheese on that, we can we can do that. But you have to you have to double check that option price <laughs> because it's that's a secondary yeah. and there's a, there's another button I have to press. So I just need to know before you yeah. decide what button you'd like me to press. Next month is African Heritage <laughs> Month, and so we're doing um, the fish and chips. The fish is going to be South African cod. Yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with the culture. No, it's, it's just, just where they call the fish. I uh, now I'm, I'm getting set. Like I'm, I'm vacillating wildly between very sad about bureaucracy and yeah. very mad at McDonald's. <laughs> as the more this goes on, I'm getting super fucking hot at McDonald's. Well, I understand you've been you've been celebrating uh, South American culture. Yeah, uh, we have a Chilean sea bass. That's that's the meal. Yeah, it's it, it's yeah, it's from Chilea. <laughs> uh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. So that's 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 the world, and just uh, the burgeoning notion of a bureaucrat who's uh, like looking up from a spreadsheet for once. <laughs> um, I want to think about who we're gonna get to direct this, because mm -hmm. for a satire, Ryan Johnson did Brick and stuff like that, right? Yeah, he did Brick. He did uh, Knives Out. He did one he of the did, Star Wars uh, movies, didn't yeah, he? Last Jedi. Yeah. Knives out. Brick makes the most sense in terms of this, I think. Um, yeah, the, the reason Bo Burnham came up to me as a alternative director is because this is extremely absurdist to me. Yeah. And uh, absurdist humor is, is part of his benchmark, and he constantly makes reference to, like, Dutch absurdist comedians he knows who use socks on their hands. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, that he, Bo's got a basis for this, and he made a good movie. Yeah. Um, did you see Promising Woman? No. Did you say? No, okay. Nah. Uh, yeah. Check it out, man. 
Um, I want to bring someone in. And I know who I want to bring in, but I don't know what, what I want him to play. Um, I want to bring in David Schwimmer. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, I'm a diehard Friends fan. But there is Friends and Seinfeld. There is a, there's a, a reason besides the obvious. Because I don't want him playing a sitcom character role. Mm-hmm. I see very much kind of, if you've watched, I know you have, if, if our listeners have watched, uh, the first season of American Crime Story. His turn as Robert Kardashian is incredibly powerful yeah. because he is questioning all these things that he's known, Yep, you know? From his, day one. From day one, his friendship, his relationship, uh, his family's relationship. He is starting to question all of these things because something has come down. And with that, there's another movie he did with Simon Pegg and Alice Eve back in like 2008 called The Big Nothing. And it's sort of satirical. It's about a couple people trying to knock off a uh, uh, a bank or, or not, not a bank. They're trying to steal money from someone. Okay. Um, and it all you know it all goes awry and everything like that. But his character Crazy in that, high yeah. But his his character in that is also very much he's down on his luck. He's he's been you know basically. He, I, th- I think if I remember, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but uh, if I remember correctly, his daughter is sick and he doesn't have the money mm. to pay for her for medicine and stuff. It's it's kind of that being down on your luck and and just having nothing else to do. You've hit rock bottom. And the, the amalgamation of those two roles he's played and how well he's done them, mm-hmm. I feel could be a really good asset to this film um, because I see this character – Sort of as maybe a worker at the restaurant. Uh, you know, he's in his 50s and he's mm. he's just working at this. He could be the guy behind the register, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of like there's there's nothing going for him, but he doesn't question it until suddenly people start questioning it does. around him. Everybody does one thing. Yeah. Um, I, I He's a far superior actor than people give him credit for. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think he's actually the most talented actor in the cast of Friends, but I digress. Mm. Um, especially I mean, when it comes to physical I, comedy. I can see going back to more of a band of brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Of yeah, of course. With him. He As does the play, drill sergeant. Yeah, he plays an extremely officious sort of martinet. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of him being a cashier, I think maybe also he, he does the same kind of job that David Yellowo does. Yeah, maybe he's a manager. But yeah, but it's it's different because he... Not only doesn't ask those questions, he's extremely hostile to the notion because this is what he does and he's very comfortable they're, in it. They're both franchisees, yeah, and it's showing the dichotomy between their two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought it was pronounced Iowalo. Uh, I've looked it up a few times, but uh, it's apparently o- o- Yellowo, and you put the you put the emphasis on yell. Oh, Yellowo. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. I him and Shuatel. I always have. Yeah. I, I fell in love with David after uh, Selma. I haven't seen that one yet, mm. but I've heard it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's really, it's really good. I mean, you, you haven't seen a lot of people play uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and yeah, that's obviously one of the more iconic voices. And he doesn't so much try to imitate the voice as just making sure it's an evocation of the, the delivery and, and everything. Yeah, and the yeah, that makes yeah, sense because it, you know, you don't want to watch two hours of somebody. You know who's been listening to "I Have a Dream" over and over again, and yeah, <laughs> in the exact voice. Yeah, exactly. You want to see someone who can evoke what 
Doctor Fate I think that's was. one of the reasons that, that Chadwick Boseman was so so talented as well. Um, he didn't do impressions of these people he did mm. biopics for. He yep. just did his his turn as them. I sound nothing like Jackie Robinson, but yeah. you, you get, you know, it, it's come, it comes out. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let's, let's flesh this one out just a little bit. We have an idea. What is the overarching plot what happens because we have the idea of them questioning this existence mm-hmm. and this this bureaucracy but what what is going to happen mm-hmm. do we the article like you said doesn't end on a high note it doesn't end on a happy yeah. note it's it, the trial is still going on this company has been disbanded because mm-hmm. they lost all their money because of mcdonald's and this other corporation basically just bleeding yeah. them dry and stealing their stuff I'm, I, I'm hopeful for these people i mean they said they were talking to burger king and yeah other things so i'm hopeful you know if things are different there especially with franchises with greater creative freedom but right it might not be worthwhile just because mcdonald's has a stranglehold on french fries and ice cream and shit yeah and i think dairy queen has a proprietary system um it makes sense yeah but um so i guess what i was hitting beats i, I like the idea of, of starting basically with a sketch yeah. like you said of of what it's like to try and get something different out of a standardized system yeah uh it's almost like writing a good essay for standardized tests in america <laughs> uh, god i fucking hated standardized tests. oh yeah me too that's good of them. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> it's just recitation. But yeah. um, I guess, yeah, after that point, I guess, um, uh, introduced to, to David's character and what it's like to run the restaurant and presenting the somewhat absurdist themes of, of what it's like to uh, be a subset of a bureaucratic structure uh, that is at this degree. Right. Uh, then we introduce Emily Blunt, who is, is there to fix the thing. Um, now, in your... In your premise, does she work for a company? Is there a monopoly on the machine, or is it just the restaurant that's a... I, that's that's her job. Like Everybody does one thing, so her job is to go around and fix machines at the... And since this is the only restaurant, like that's a pretty big job for people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and, and he has a good uh, relationship with her, but she's a little bit dismissive of him because he's, he's kind of a worker ant. Um, and he finds out, like... I, I'm sure he keeps spreadsheets of like efficiency data and stuff. Sure. See, so he finds out that like it's working better than it should, which to him at this point in his life is a problem. Yeah. It's like, well, it's outside of the the scope, the scale of like yeah. uh, it needs to be between like 85 and, and 88, and we're operating at 97 percent yeah. <laughs> efficiency. Uh, <laughs> he finds out that she did that to the machine. <laughs> Uh, I get. I think. I think she likes him a little bit. So she's like, I'm gonna help him out. I'm gonna help out and make yeah. sure this thing like only breaks once a month. And that's that's actually great because then we can have her go to Schwimmer's location, mm-hmm. and he's just you know, what was his character's yeah. name in Band of Brothers again? Uh, that was Captain Herbert Sobel. Herbert Sobel. Yeah. So he's very much like that role. Um, mm-hmm. and he's the exact opposite of Aiello. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's trying to do everything she can to maintain mm-hmm. a balance, but... I, I think D- David Schwimmer is probably the antagonist of this film in the way that we're going right now. I think now so, too, yeah. Because he's, he probably comes down fairly hard when he finds out that at their location she has done this to the machine, and that is outside of operational parameters. It's outside of scope, is what it yeah. is. That's what, the, that's what it is. It's out of scope. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but we're performing better. We're making more money. It doesn't People matter. People shouldn't want to go to your location... Because they, they should be going to your location based on geographical significance that for themselves. That is all. Yep. They should, like, this is this is what's pissing him off. Like, you're not supposed to be better than me. Yeah. 
You're just supposed to be closer to some people. We are all supposed to be the same. Yeah. That is literally it. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like that. This puts a little crack at David. Where no, he's he's rebelling as best a bureaucrat can in certain ways. Where Which he's, David? Uh, oh, yellow. <laughs> okay. Uh, where he's, he's rebelling his best he can in certain ways of like maybe changing a little bit of the makeup of certain items to where like, does why do the chips taste different? Yeah. Salt. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a big that he feels incredibly ambush because he's put salt on the chips and fish. He's and chips. he's anxious is yep. what he is. Yeah. yeah. But this is like this is he's his This his, is like TPing the principal's house for yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> his his location is starting to get more popular mm-hmm. and no one understands why and mm-hmm. even the consumers don't mm-hmm. understand why. Yeah. Why and am Emily, I coming Emily's here? Emily's loving it. So she just keeps finding reasons to, to come by the restaurant and fix things yeah. even though they're not broken. And he's just constantly like, oh, did I push too far this time? <laughs> Every time. He's kind of playing like a nervous character where like it's a little bit out of his element where yeah. he's kind of like... It can't be too good. Yeah. It can't be too good. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be too good. Um... <laughs> okay, so what's the downfall? What do we... I, I, I think eventually uh, Emily Blood wants to take it farther. Uh, and the, the, what, what can they become aware of in, the, in other ways that society works? Oof. Um, yeah. I mean, we're doing food right now, right? Mm-hmm. So automa- uh, 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 transportation, I guess? Mm. Uh, maybe there is only public transport. Mm. Maybe there is okay, no, like no more type of uh, personal transportation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah. oh, uh, she she tries she keeps trying to bring him along on different rebellious repairs she's going on, and here's here's my idea I like it. Uh, they sneak into the place where where public transport vehicles are, and she's like, I found a way to improve fuel efficiency so people so they can keep uh, the machines can keep going longer, people can get places faster. There's not going to be like a wait time for like Uber type things and all of that, but this causes a problem because now all the cars are on the road all the time and there's traffic and things are not moving at the pace they were. I have another idea. She's already at ice cream repair tech, right? Yeah. What if all she does is fix the air conditioners in the cars? Mm. She makes it so that the temperature is a little bit cooler and people <laughs> feel a little bit more comfortable <laughs> on these buses. And how and does that get the government's notice? Because people's personalities are beginning to change. Mm-hmm. Food is tasting better. Yeah. They're more comfortable in their temperatures. People want things and we're not set up to give them more things luxuries don't exist in this world yeah. but she's creating the opportunity for luxuries to come about yeah i don't think they're going to change the world no i, I think they're going to get hauled in front of rowan atkinson and read the riot act and just uh, utterly break him by just yelling it's about ice cream yeah and i i think the, the best happy ending i have in this is they get sent to manage a lighthouse <sighs> And they're just out there by themselves, and nobody's watching them, and they can fish. <laughs> just the two and of them? Just ha- they, yeah, they've, they've sort of made their own little nook. David Schumer has taken over his franchise. His Pyrrhic victory, yes, is that for bringing, uh, for bringing um, how shall I put this, rebellious, uh, rebellious improvement uh, to the ministry's notice, he's bumped up to uh, being in charge of distribution of food yeah. to the restaurants um which is a terrible terrible job because he's always like throughout the movie he's had a problem with smells yeah 
that like bother him, and now he's in a place where they're like canning fish. Oh, that's so and interesting. Packaging pepper. He just has like yeah, and he's in a constant state of of like red eyed. Could uh, close pin dribble, over his nose. Dribble, yeah, like he's in hell. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't say no to a promotion. Right. Because it's like what he's making more money. Yeah. What do you mean you don't want a promotion that doesn't make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, now they're a little bit wary of him because he acted very hesitant about moving up a level. <laughs> that is his personal that's, hell. And that's, that's the actual ending is that they've started to plant the seed of question. Mm-hmm. And that's all that matters. Yeah. It's not about them specifically. It's not about, like you said, changing the world. They've planted the seed to question things. Like, and, and David Schwimmer is just, like, desperately getting back to his office in this distribution center. Uh, holding his nose because they're packaging curry powder today. Um, and he sees a machine with, like, this belt turning. Yeah. Um, and there's it's just there's a bunch of them, and the belts are kind of looping around. And he stops, and he just sort of tweaks something, and it starts moving more smoothly. And that's where the movie ends. There's a little bit of a smirk. Yeah. I want to add one more thing before we end here. Instead of just the two, meaning the restaurant and the transportation, I think we need a third. I think we need three items. That Other kind acts of, of, of rebellious yeah. self-improvement, yeah. So we have transportation. We have the food industry. Um, I would say there's probably not much entertainment. Mm. Um, Is there a way we can make hospitality? it? Hospitality. Some, something that gives people a little bit more time. Because when people have more time than they want to spend their time on leisure activities and luxury and, and, and you know, thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so what what's a way that they can make so that people save time? Oof, that's a tough one. Something to do with, um, like, time management in, in offices or something like that? Like, they figure hmm. a way to to improve time management Mm -hmm. or is that i I feel like that's too big i like the idea of it being small like fixing the air conditioners Mm -hmm. understanding that you can make it to temp two degrees cooler Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on a bus as as opposed to the you know the regulatory mandated you know whatever degrees celsius Mm -hmm. um transportation food giving people more time Mm mm-hmm Streamlining some type of process, um, maybe something with storage. Okay, like so people can have more of something, so they have to spend less time making sure that they have blank. They something along the lines of yeah, storage. They found a way to like package things a little bit neater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she works with all this type of hardware, so like maybe her warehouse or whatever has like these storage bins or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. She just kind of how could she? What could she tweak though? Because it has to be something that goes unnoticed. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be something she's tweaking. She's tweaking the restaurant. She's tweaking the air conditioning and the buses. She's tweaking. So all offices have very very shitty carpeting. Okay. Um, and since she does repairs and installation, she knows under that is just layers of hardwood. Uh huh. Um, so she just, um, pretends that there was a problem with the carpeting and they go and they cut out the carpeting of this office and you see people like sort of sliding their chairs back and just quickly scooting across to the next desk and handing a piece of paper. That's fucking brilliant. And it just, it's just creating enough of like a quicker workflow where people are just able to move their chairs around. Something that, that is brilliant. The office, the office efficiency goes up like 10% because Susan can turn around 
uh, and instead of having to get up out of the chair and and go walk into this, she could just scoot the chair back. Yes, that's because uh, now perfect. they can roll because they're on hardwood. Yep, and yep. people are just rolling around the office. Yep, yeah, because they don't have to get up and walk. They feel it like get it like getting up right now. Just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like nobody <laughs> wants to get up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's brilliant. And so it just sort of improves mood. That's it and efficiency. All three of those things right there. Uh, what was the name of your movie? Uh, I've already forgotten. Frost something? Uh, Frost in the Machine. Frost in the Machine. Yeah. That's perfect, because it makes me think of the ghost in the machine, ghost, which yeah. is the questioning of... Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's exactly what I was going for. There yeah. you go. This is our most, like, deeply philosophical episode. Absolutely. And it's definitely, like, an hour and a half long at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But we knew this one was going to be long going yeah. in. And this, again, I had yeah. to do this article. I, I kept... You know, the funny thing is I kept texting Rob over the last two weeks, just being like, I want to do this article. But it's so long. Yeah. I have to find something else. And I couldn't find something else. And I said, screw it. We're <laughs> doing this article. Um, yeah. yeah. Please this... read it. It's an excellent piece of journalism. And it's, it's, it is a, a lot of problems with American capitalism just writ small. Yeah. It is. Uh, it, again, it'll be linked in the uh, description. Uh, the article is from Wired.com, written by Andy Greenberg. Um, there's also some really good photography of like, uh, the, the Frobot machine that they made, um, all the different like components inside the Taylor ice cream, uh, machine. Um, and, and there's actually a little image of what kitsch is. It's really small. It kind of looks like an SD card reader almost mm-hmm. with like an ethernet port. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Uh, highly recommend that article. Yeah. Um, I just love the idea of, of rebellion. For the sake of improving other people's lives. It's it's just about comfort. That's yeah. all it is. All they want to do is improve comfort and luxury. Mm-hmm. And the government is saying, no. Yeah. No, that's not how we do things. And Kitsch, you, you fucking ruled, guys. Good for you guys. Yeah, seriously. I hope this trial goes out well for them because yeah. they, they need that win. Yeah. I hope they get it. We'll see if somebody cracks. <laughs> that's all it takes. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, this was a very physical philosophical episode uh we had a great time with this one i'm glad we did get to go mm-hmm. a roundabout way so it wasn't just a uh yeah. a shot at the exact article yeah. uh, i promise we, we could make the article but it's been made and it's called the insider yeah yeah um i promise next week we're, we're next next episode i will i will think outside the box for my for my idea and we can hopefully come up with something a little bit more challenging um, but other than that, uh, you guys know where to find us. WDYG podcast basically everywhere. Instagram will be coming soon uh, as we have something brewing. Uh, I know we've said that the last couple episodes, but you know it's you know we're coming. Um, I think it's almost done. I, I think, think it is. I think it's, pretty, it's actually pretty much done. We th- just hit them up and say like, let's grab it and we'll post it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Just to post up. So uh, when we get to Instagram, it'll be WDY, WDYG podcast there as well on Twitter, Facebook. WDYG. <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. Um, WNBC. Uh, if you guys have any articles you find fascinating, please send them our way. WDYGpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us. Share, review, like, subscribe. You know all the good stuff. Uh, we really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, it's it's June. We're getting into hot girl summer. <laughs> so uh, thank God the vaccinations have rolled out as well as they have. Yeah. We just got together with all of our friends and had a wonderful time for the first time in a year and a half. It was insane. All just vaccinated and healthy and happy and, and careful. And Yeah. 
Rob and I are back in the same room in the studio. Yeah. Feels better. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. much better energy when yeah. we're together. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what we're putting out in the world, man. It's a much better energy when we're together. So stay safe, and uh, we hope to see you next time. Mm-hmm. I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And this is what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss. 